Greg for doing a wonderful job leading us in our singing. Thank all of you for being here again this morning. If you have your Bible with you, will you take it out again and go over into the book of Hebrews this morning? I want to ask you to go to Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter that Brother John read from this morning. I appreciate Brother John reading those verses. I want to continue with that reading in verse number 7. I'm going to read what is going to be a lengthy section of Scripture from the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to beg you to be patient with me, to read along with me, please. And I promise you that this reading we're going to do right now is going to set up everything that we're going to talk about for the remainder of this lesson. It is going to give us a good foundation. In Hebrews chapter 11, let's pick up at verse 7. After telling us that if we're going to please God on any level at all, we got to have faith. That's what the writer says in verse 6. Well, in verse 7, he goes on to say, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Drop down to verse 17, please. Verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac, your descendants, shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn, firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, 
and the prophets. Wow. What an incredible, what an incredible list. What an amazing list. I mean, what a remarkable list of people that are given to us in just one chapter of the Bible. I mean, I want you to notice carefully just, just some of the people who, who are mentioned here in this chapter. Notice how here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 4, Abel, one of the, the sons of Adam and Eve, he's mentioned. And then you've got Enoch, who's mentioned in verse number five. And then you've got Noah, the man who built this big ark to preserve both he and his family during a time of a global flood. He's mentioned in, in verse seven. And then in verses eight down to verse number 22, you have Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And then in verse number 23, you have Jochebed, the mother of Moses. She is referred to. And then in verses 24 through 29, you got Moses, the great deliverer of God's people. He's being emphasized. And then you got Rahab, the great woman of faith from the book of Joshua, she's mentioned in verse number 31, and then in verse 32, you got a bunch of people mentioned. You got King David, and you got Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and Samson, and Gideon, and the prophets. So many wonderful servants of God recorded in just one chapter of the Bible, and you being the good Bible students that I know you are, I'm pretty sure that you're familiar with what this chapter is all about, right? I'm pretty sure that you're familiar with the fact that this chapter, Hebrews 11, is a chapter that is all about faith. It is a chapter that is all about giving us, giving us a list of people who have been inducted into the hall of faith or the honor roll of faith. It is about emphasizing the importance of faith and our efforts to please God. And then it gives us a detailed list of people who in the time of the Old Testament, they did just that. That's what this chapter is all about. That's what these list of names are all about. And maybe as we read over these names together this morning, you found yourself getting a little discouraged. Maybe you found yourself getting a little down and even a little intimidated because you viewed these people right here as, as perfect. You viewed them as flawless. You viewed them as some sort of biblical superheroes. You, you found yourself maybe thinking that, that these people attained a spiritual standard that no person in 2021 can attain today. Maybe you found yourself thinking those kinds of ways as we read through this, this list of names. And if you did, if you thought that way, then I want you to know something this morning. I want you to know that that thinking is wrong. I want you to know that God doesn't want you to feel that way. I want you to know that God did not put this chapter in the Bible to discourage you or to set up some unreachable standard for you. Instead, the main reason why God put this chapter in the Bible was to encourage you. It was to motivate you. It was to show you how throughout the course of human history, ordinary and regular people have pleased him at a very high level when they just live by faith. That's what this chapter is all about. 
That's why this chapter is in the Bible, and I just want to spend some time this morning showing you that, okay? This morning in this study, I want to show you that while the people mentioned in this chapter were some amazing people who did some wonderful things to the glory of God, at the end of the day, every single one of them were no different than us. They were no different than me and you. Like me and you, all of the people mentioned in Hebrews 11, they were just ordinary people. They were just ordinary and regular people, and there are at least four reasons why we can be absolutely sure about that. First, we can be sure that all these people in Hebrews 11 were just regular and ordinary people because, according to the Bible, they were sinners. They were sinners. Can we start there this morning? Let's go to Romans. When you go in your Bible, please, to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to some familiar verses, but I think we need to read them because they certainly go with this point we're trying to make. In Romans chapter 3, verse 9, the Apostle Paul in the great book of Romans, he says these words, Romans 3, verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks, or both Jews and Gentiles, are all, notice, they are all under sin. Look at verse 23, a very familiar verse to us. For all, there it is again, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. I want you to pay close attention to the language that Paul uses in both of those verses. Notice how Paul says that all people, all people, all people have sinned. All people have sinned. When Paul used the word all in those verses, he means just that. He means all. He means every single person. He means every single person who has reached a level of moral consciousness has violated the will of God. He means me. He means you. He even means these people that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. You see, despite how positively we might view those people, we need to understand that, that they were not perfect. They were not blameless. They were not worthy of being in the eternal presence of God. Instead, like all of us, every single one of these people, they also committed a bunch of mistakes. They also committed a bunch of spiritual blunders that impacted God and impacted other people. For example, in the case of Abraham, in the case of a man who would clearly be on a Mount Rushmore of Bible characters. When you study Abraham's story, when you just do a casual reading of his story in Genesis and the book of Genesis, you know what you're going to see? You're going to easily see that Abraham struggled with lying. He was a liar. Whenever he started fearing for his life, whenever he felt his back was against the wall, you know what he did? He would resort to lying. He was he was a sinner. And so was Noah. Noah was a sinner. You look at Genesis chapter 9 and verse 21, and the Bible says there was an occasion when Noah committed the sin of drunkenness. He was a sinner. And so was Moses. 
In Exodus chapter 2 and verse number 12, we can read about an occasion when Moses actually murdered somebody. He actually murdered an Egyptian who was abusing a Hebrew slave and then he buried the man's body in the sand. Moses was a sinner. And so was this great woman of faith named Rahab. In Hebrews 11 and verse number 31, the Bible describes Rahab as a harlot. Do you know what that means? That means she was a prostitute. That means that she was someone who committed sexual immorality. In fact, she is not the only person in this list who was involved in the sin of sexual immorality. You go and you study the story of Samson and you see that Samson was a very sexually immoral man. In the book of Judges, we find him committing sexual immorality all the time with the Philistine women. And then in the case of the great King David, the man who was a man after God's own heart. Remember, according to what we find in 2 Samuel 11, not only did David commit adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, but he also tried to cover that sin and hide that sin by setting up her husband Uriah to be killed in battle, right? And so David was a sexually immoral man, and he was a murderer. What I just want you to see is in addition to some of the really evil people that we can read about in the Bible, in addition to the Pharaohs and the Ahabs and the Jezebels and the Manassehs and the Judas, Judas Iscariots, in addition to those kinds of people, these people in Hebrews chapter 11, they were also sinners. They were also people who made a ton of mistakes. They were also people who hurt God on numerous occasions with evil and ungodly behavior. They were just like us. They were ordinary people because they were sinners, but not only were they ordinary and regular people because they sinned. A second thing we need to say about them is they also had wavering faith. Oh, yes, the people who are inducted into the Hall of Faith at various times had wavering faith. They had wavering faith. And someone says, Sean, what do you mean when you say they had wavering faith? Well, when I say they had wavering faith, what I mean is these people in Hebrews chapter 11, they were not always really strong in their faith. They were not always worthy of being inducted into the hall of faith. In fact, there are many times in their, in their stories when we can read about them really struggling in their faith. They really struggled believing in the promises of God. They really struggled in believing that God's way was the best way. We see this clearly when we study the story of Abraham. I'm going to talk with you a lot about Abraham this morning. Go to Genesis chapter 15, please. I want to show you something in Genesis 15. You know, while we usually recognize Abraham as one of the great men of faith in the Bible, we need to understand that Abraham's faith wasn't always so rock solid. It wasn't always so, so strong and firm. Instead, there are numerous times in the word of God when we can read about Abraham's, Abraham's faith wavering. We can read about it being really weak and, and just really not pleasing to God. In Genesis 15, look at verse 2. Now, stay with me here. Genesis 15, verse 2. Abraham is going by Abram at this time. His name hasn't been changed yet. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abraham said, since you have given me, given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. 
Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man, Eleazar, will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. He took him outside and he said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said, God said to Abram, so shall your descendants be. They're going to be like the stars. Now look at verse six. Verse six says, then he, Abram, believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now notice how here we find a great example of Abraham exercising great faith in God. Here we find God telling Abram that I'm going to give you an heir. It's not going to come from your slave. It's going to come from you. You're going to get a son in your old age. And through this process, you're going to be given a great nation that's going to be innumerable like the stars. That's the promise God made him. And the Bible says Abraham believed that. He believed and had faith in that promise from God. And it was counted before God as righteousness. That's what the Bible says. Abraham trusted and believed and had faith in God, but you contrast that. You contrast that with what you find two chapters later in Genesis chapter 17. In Genesis 17, Abraham was about 100 years old. He's an older man. And you would think that maybe he should be more seasoned in the faith, right? He should be stronger in the faith by this time, right? Well, God comes to him again in Genesis 17, and he tells him essentially the same promise he made him in Genesis 15. He reassures him of that promise. And look at how Abraham responds in verse 17. In verse 17, the Bible says that when God came and made the same promise to him again, he did what? He fell on his face and he laughed. And he said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90, bear a child? Notice how Unlike what you find in Genesis 15, Abraham, even as an older man by this time, when he hears the same promise, now he's laughing about it. He's doubting it. He's finding humor in the promise of God. Wavering faith. Wavering faith. But he wasn't the only one who laughed at this. Look at Genesis 18, verse 12. Genesis 18, verse 12 some angels come to Abraham and Sarah and repeat the same promise again. And in Genesis 18 to verse 12, it says, Let Sarah laugh to herself when she heard the promise, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? When the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? That's a rhetorical question. At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Notice how Sarah and Abraham, they both laughed. These are people in the hall of faith. They're laughing at God's promises. They have wavering faith, and they're not the only ones. You know, Moses did also, didn't he? You remember when the Lord initially appeared to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, and he, and he called Moses to go and be a deliverer of his people in Egypt? Moses did not want to initially do that. Moses did not want to initially take on that mission. In fact, he came up with all kinds of excuses as to why he felt he was the wrong guy to take on that mission. He said, Lord, you made a mistake. You got the wrong guy. I'm not eloquent. I don't speak very well. What if the people don't believe that, that you sent me? Moses, he, he has some wavering faith. 
And if you want to stay here with me past lunch, and we can do that. I'm totally fine with that. We could keep going through this in Hebrews 11. We could talk about the wavering faith of Jacob in the book of Genesis. And we could talk about the wavering faith of Gideon and, and Samson and Barak in the book of Judges. And we could even talk about the wavering faith of King David throughout the book of Samuel. You see, when you study the stories of all these people, you will see that while they have been inducted into the honor roll of faith, there were times in their lives when they had wavering faith. When they had weak faith, when they really struggled in their faith, the question, though, is, is what about us? What about me and what about you? Do you have times in your life when you waver in your faith? Do you have times in your life when you really struggle in your faith? Do you have times in your life when you really start doubting and the promises of God? And maybe you come up with all kinds of excuses as to why you can't do something that God told you you can do. Do you ever have those kind of moments in your in your life? Well, if so, let me ask you this now. What do you do? How do you respond whenever your faith starts to waver some? Whenever you start having some doubts, whenever you find yourself stuck in the middle of some terrible mistake that you've made that clearly goes contrary to the will of God, do you just give up? Do you just throw in the towel? Do you just be overcome with fear and you believe the devil's lie that says, well, you've messed up. You're a loser. It's over. There's no way you could ever be useful for, to God again. Do you think do you think in that way? Or do you choose to overcome? Do you choose to press on? Do you choose to do what it takes to get stronger? Do you choose to read your Bible more and pray more? Do you choose to repent? Do you choose to learn from your from your mistake? Do you choose to trust God? Do you choose to look back on your life and consider all the different ways that God has blessed you and been with you in the past? And how if he's been with you in the past, he'll certainly be with you in the present and in the future. Do you stop and think about that? We all get wavering faith at times. I get it. You get it. These people got it. And thankfully, even though they had wavering faiths, the Lord was patient with them, wasn't he? Thankfully, the Lord was patient with these people. Thankfully, he never gave up on them. He gave them time to grow into the solid soldiers they became. This is something that, again, we see with Abraham. Someone said you should just preach a sermon by Abraham. Well, maybe I should have because Abraham, there's so many lessons from Abraham. I mean, think about all the mistakes that Abraham made in the book of Genesis. Think about the mistake he makes in Genesis 16 with Hagar, the maid of Sarah, his wife. Think about how when he started to doubt that God was going to give him a child in his old age at the behest, ironically, of his wife, Sarah. He goes and he enters into a sexual relationship with Hagar and they have a child. This child's name is Ishmael. Ishmael is born to Abraham and Hagar. And after his birth, a whole bunch of problems takes place in that family. A big mess takes place in that family and God's got to clean that mess up. That could have been avoided if Abraham just trusted God. 
Put that in what you find in Genesis chapter 20. When Abraham lies to King Abimelech about his true relationship with Sarah while they are sojourning in the land of Gerar. That was another mess that Abraham created because of his sin and God had to clean up that mess. In fact, when you go to Genesis chapter 12, you find Abraham telling a similar lie while sojourning in the land of Egypt. He also tells the king of Egypt that Sarah is merely his sister. And after the Pharaoh thinks, hey, Sarah's pretty and she's a single woman and he brings her into his house. Guess what happens? God starts bringing some judgment on him. God starts bringing all kinds of problems on the house of Pharaoh and those problems could have been avoided if Abraham had just told the whole truth. In fact, speaking of Abraham being in Egypt, let me ask you this. What in the world is he doing in Egypt in the first place? Why is he in Egypt? Why is he among the Egyptians? You ever thought about that? Go in your Bible to Genesis chapter 12. Look at this. Genesis chapter 12. Here in Genesis 12, we find some information that we start teaching our kids from the time they're very small. The three promises to Abraham. Whole Bible story. The whole Bible story is built on these three promises. God promised Abraham a great nation would come from his seed, the nation of Israel. That nation will receive a great land, the land of Canaan. And through that nation, somebody was going to come into the world and bless all people. That's a reference to Jesus. Whole Bible is based on those three promises. But before God makes him the promises, in Genesis 12 and verse 1, he says to him, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Get up and go to a land that I'm going to show you. That's the land of Canaan. Verse number nine. Look at verse nine. Abraham journeyed. He journeyed on, continuing, continuing toward the Negev. Verse 10. And there was a what? Famine. There was a famine in the land. So Abraham, oh, oh went down to Egypt to sojourn, therefore the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, see now I know that you're a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will kill me, because they're going to say this, they will say this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. You see, when you disobey God in one place, it usually leads to disobeying God in another place. Abraham is given some clear instructions in verse 1. Clear instructions. You don't need some Bible scholar degree to get that. God says you get up, you leave your land. His land is Ur of the Chaldeans. Leave there. Go to a land that I'm going to show you. Go there. That land's not Egypt. That land is Canaan. That's where I want you to go. And to his credit, he starts going there, doesn't he? He gets up and he goes. But when he becomes aware of a famine that's in that land, he takes a detour. He goes another direction. He goes to live among the Egyptians. Instead of continuing on and dwelling in Canaan, he goes to Egypt. It appears that he doesn't trust that God's going to take care of him in a land that he commanded him to go to in the first place. Abraham doesn't do all that God says on this occasion, and the result of that is a big mess. It is a bunch of unnecessary problems that Abraham brings to himself, his wife, and the entire people of Egypt. He shouldn't have been among them in the first place. Abraham had many instances 
where his faith was lacking and it was not pleasing to God. And yet, despite that, you know what God never does? God never gives up on this man. God never turns away from this man. God never says, but you know, this guy is a loser. He doesn't listen. He keeps making one mistake after another, and I got to clean all his messes up. I just need to start over and pick somebody else. I can use somebody else to build a great nation from. God never says that. God never gives up on Abraham. Instead of giving up on him, you know what God does? God helps him. God is patient with him. God continues to love this man and give him opportunities for redemption. That's what God does with Abraham. That's what he does with Moses. That's what he does with Jacob, David, Samson. And as we've been learning in our Bible reading over the last year, that's what he does with the apostles. That's what he does with the apostle Peter, right? I mean, like Abraham in the Old Testament, Peter is someone who constantly messes up. He constantly disobeys that disobeys the Lord. He says foolish stuff. He lacks in his faith at times. He has to be rebuked and called the devil by Jesus. There's even a time when, like Abraham, he lies in an effort to, to save his own life. Like the people in Hebrews 11, Peter also failed the Lord, but you know what the Lord did? The Lord always continued to believe in him. The Lord encouraged him. The Lord watched over him. The Lord never gave up on him. And I want you to know something. The Lord will also never give up on you. He'll never give up on you or me or any of us. He'll never give up on us as long as we trust him, pick ourselves up, and learn from whatever mistakes we wind up making. In fact, that is exactly what the people did here in Hebrews 11. Despite their numerous failures, despite their numerous spiritual blunders in time, one of the things they all have in common is they grew. They grew into these great people that they became. What you read about in Hebrews 11, that didn't happen overnight. And this is something we see again with Abraham. <laughs> Remember in Genesis 12, we find Abraham not doing everything God said. God said, I want you to go to Canaan. He takes a detour to Egypt during a time of a famine. He doesn't fully obey the Lord. But then you go to Genesis 22, and, and you find a different Abraham by that time. You find a great example in Genesis 22 as to why Abraham is included in the hall of faith. In Genesis chapter 22, after finally being given a son with his wife Sarah in their old age, God gives Abraham a commandment that frightens every parent. He gives him what seems to be a horrible and just a terrible commandment. He tells him that I want you to go to Mount Moriah and I want you to kill this son. I want you to sacrifice him to me. I want you to give up your only begotten son on an altar. That's what God tells Abraham to do. And so the question is, what does Abraham do? Well, unlike what you find in Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham doesn't do everything God says, this time, several years later, now he's doing everything God says. Now he's got enough faith to do everything the Lord commands. He obeys the Lord by going to Mount Moriah. 
And he takes Isaac with him and they build an altar. And just before he's about to bring the knife down to kill his son, God says, hold on. Hold on. You don't have to do that. I'm going to provide you with a sacrifice to offer to me. Now I know you're where you need to be. Now I know you believe me. Now I know you trust me. Now I know you have faith in me. I says, I know you trust me now. And in Hebrews 11 and verse 19, the Hebrew writer tells us what Abraham trusted God to do on this occasion. Here in Hebrews 11 and verse 19, the Hebrew writer tells us that on this occasion, Abraham trusted in God's power to raise the dead. He trusted in God's power to resurrect. He trusted that God would still be faithful to keep his promise to build a great nation for him through Isaac, even if it meant he had to kill him on Mount Moriah. Abraham clearly grew. He grew in his faith, didn't he? And he's not the only one. So did Moses. You know, so often we forget that prior to God calling him to go and deliver Israel from Egyptian slavery when he was 80 years old, Moses actually first tried to deliver Israel when he was 40 years old. Stephen makes that point in Acts 7 and verse number 25. In Acts chapter 7, when preaching to the Jewish Sanhedrin council, Stephen makes the point that when Moses was 40 years old, and he killed that Egyptian who was beating that Hebrew, he was trying to do something with that. He was actually trying to, to deliver Israel. He was actually trying to free Israel while living in the land of Egypt, but God knew, God knew he wasn't ready. God knew he needed some more time. He needed more time to grow. He needed to spend 40 years as a shepherd in Midian before he would then be ready to shepherd his people. And so Moses needed time to grow. And then go back to Peter. Go back to Peter. Remember, despite the fact that he also wavered in his faith at times, despite the fact that he was impulsive, like Brother Stan alluded to this morning, despite the fact that he even lied and denied the Lord three times, who was the man who preached the gospel first on the day of Pentecost? Peter. Who was the man who preached the gospel to the Jew first and to the Gentile first? It was Peter. Who was the man who became an elder in the church and even gave his life preaching the word of God? It was Peter. Peter grew in his faith. The question is, what about me? What about you? Are you growing? Are you growing in your faith? If you have been a Christian for several decades, can you look back on your journey as a Christian and say, you know what? I've made some progress. I've made some progress. After considering all the bumps in the road that you've had. After considering all the times where you know God answered your prayers, after considering all the mistakes and the number of times you had to learn the hard way that God's way is the best way for your life. After considering your journey, can you look in the spiritual mirror this morning and honestly say, I've grown. I've grown. I've grown in my faith. I trust God more now. I lean on God more now. I pray more. I have more control over my temper. 
I'm more patient, more merciful, more forgiving. I think more of the needs of others first. I'm more willing to just do what God tells me to do without questioning his love for me. I understand better the seriousness of sin and I'm no longer allowing the devil to easily exploit my weaknesses. These people in Hebrews 11, they were ordinary people. They're not superheroes. They were sinners. Their faith wavered. They were blessed with God's patience, but they are included in the hall of faith because they grew. They grew. And I know there's so many more sermons we could, we could preach about this right done. I mean, we could do about, what, 50 sermons and... 50 days on this. We know that. But here's the main thing I want you to take home. The main thing I want to encourage you with this morning as someone who loves everybody here is we can do it. We can do it. That's the point. We can be just like these people. We can be just like Abraham and David and Samson and Rahab, just like these ordinary people who lived a long time ago. We also can please the Lord at a very high level when we just live by faith, when we just believe in God and trust him and obey him. They did that and we can too. That's the main point of this incredible chapter. And so maybe there's somebody here this morning who needs to begin that journey. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who needs to begin the journey of walking by faith in Jesus. If there's something we can do this morning to help you in that, whether it is immerse you into Christ because you're now willing to acknowledge your belief in Jesus and repent of your sins. Or if there's a Christian this morning who's been wavering your faith, you haven't been very obedient to God, and you need to repent and ask for the prayers of the brethren. Whatever spiritual needs you may have this morning to help you in your faith, we want to do that for you right here and right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.